Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. So you've heard the old saying, money talks. The way we spend it and the way we save it can speak volumes about us. Managing money when you're in a relationship, though, that's when it gets really tricky. Dr. Scott Rick is a marketing professor at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business, where his work focuses on understanding the emotions behind our financial decisions. His new book helps us see the invisible forces that shape the way we handle our money so that we can manage them to live happier lives. The book's called Tight Wads and Spendthrifts. Navigating the money minefield in real relationships. And Dr. Scott Rick joins me now. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. And you are the latter. You're a spendthrift. Can you look back and, and see where that started? Oh, yes. Uh, very clearly. I uh, I was raised by spendthrifts. Uh, we spent a lot of summers in Las Vegas in casinos. Wow. Um, and uh, luckily, I guess I looked older than I was, which was kind of fun then it's less fun now but uh <laughs> security didn't didn't give me a hard time in the casinos so i kind of got to sit with family and watch them play the slot machines and um yeah it was just a, a constant uh daily pursuit of happiness via money and you know luckily they didn't go overboard um and so i didn't i wasn't like horrified by what i saw it was kind of fun um, you know, I don't do that now with my kids, but I still have this orientation that is leans more towards kind of trying to seize the moment and um let, let's see some immediate opportunities for for happiness. What is the difference then between a tight wad and a spendthrift? Yeah. So a a, a tight wad um they often look good on paper, you know, financially speaking, they are often on solid grounds, but they have a lot of anxiety about spending money. They worry about going broke. They worry about what they might need the money for in the future. And so they end up spending less than they think they should. Um, There's all kinds of things like, I know I would be happier if I had this, but I just can't, you know, make it happen. I can't go through with it. And so that can be very frustrating to them and the people around them. Um, so it's not necessarily a, a happy thing, even though, again, they often have good savings, good financial numbers. Uh, a spendthrift is quite different. They, um, it's like someone cut the brakes on the car. Like we, we just don't have enough distress when we think about spending money today. We're very present focused people. We, we might realize what's coming in the future, but it's not, um, it's not a big constraint on us. And so, yeah, we shop for not only stuff that we need, but stuff that we might need in the future. Like we might be out shopping for work clothes and we see like, oh, there's like a fun velvet blazer. That would be nice if I go to like a fancy holiday party. Like I'm not invited to any of those parties, but what if I was? 
I'd want to have that jacket. So <laughs> we do a lot of like just in case purchasing, which tightwads very much don't do. Yeah, this, you said it very memorably. Tightwads have needs that they're not shopping for. Spendthrifts are shopping for needs that they don't have. Um, yes, yes. And at, at the root of this behavior, are emotions almost always behind these spending decisions? Yeah, yeah. I mean, on both ends, both the before and after. And, you know, the problem is that, um, you know, it's hard to look at a price tag and think, okay, well, if I buy this, I'm giving up a certain item or a certain option later down the road. It's for a lot of us, it's hard to be that precise when thinking about this stuff. And so what we often do is rely on kind of gut feelings instead of precise mathematical thinking. And that can be, you know, useful sometimes. We don't want to overthink every single little thing in our life, but, um, you know, those feelings are uh, imperfect and they can be kind of, um, you know, too little or too much. And that seems to be the problem with tight wads of spendthrifts, just like the dial has been kind of cranked up or cranked down a little too much. And, um, you know, and, and then on the back end of it, there's a lot of regrets for both tight wads and spendthrifts. Um, you know, at least with tight wads, the regret of not spending, that is sometimes correctable. Like if you don't, uh, you know, buy the shoes that you desperately, mm. desperately need today, you can go buy them tomorrow. But spendthrifts, you know, if you spend money on the, you know, vacation or whatever it is, uh, you know, you can't necessarily get that back. <laughs> yes. Is retail therapy a real thing? Uh, I think so. Um, I was kind of fascinated over the years by all these news reports saying that retail therapy is so wasteful and obviously not a smart thing to do. And I do fully acknowledge that you can take shopping to cure negative feelings too far and create all kinds of new negative feelings. Like I'm there, I'm fine with that. But um, we also know just based on psychology research that when people are feeling sad, they feel like they are not in control of their lives, that they are kind of at the mercy of outside forces, uncontrollable things like climate change or just, you know, inherited diseases or just things that are totally out of your control. So shopping is something that restores a sense of personal control. So we find that kind of um, shopping, low stakes shopping, not where you're spending big bucks, but just making choices. I want this, but not this mm. other thing. That can restore a sense of personal control huh. and alleviate sadness faster than if you just kind of, you know, do something else that's not shopping. That's really interesting. Um, how do you know which one you are, by the way? Sometimes it will be obvious, but you've got quite a good test in the book. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, so we do have like a little, um, four item scale in the book that you can take and kind of diagnose yourself. It's kind of describing these two extremes and seeing which one, uh, feels more familiar to you. And I think it's a helpful exercise, um, partly because, um, there are a lot of different ways to, for example, be conservative with money. Like one way is to be a tightwad. Um, but there's other ways to be conservative. Like you could be frugal 
frugal people enjoy saving and they enjoy reusing items and they're not burdened with a lot of desire for material things and they're happy. So if you just look at bank account statements, for example, you wouldn't be able to tell who's a tightwad and who's frugal. But this scale is one way to, to distinguish between those two types uh, of conservative spenders. Significant question. Are spendthrifts yes. attracted to tightwads and vice versa? <laughs> yeah, I don't think they realize that they will be. But this is something that we find, that this is one case where opposites tend to attract. Normally, we go out and we marry some version of ourselves. Um, but the interesting thing about tightwads and spendthrifts, what makes them so interesting and lovable to me, is that they're not totally comfortable with that part of themselves. Mm. There's some conflict there. And when you encounter someone who displays your own problem, that really can shine an uncomfortable spotlight on the issue. Like imagine you are someone who bites their fingernails and then you encounter someone who also does that. You might be really disgusted by that. Like, oh my God, is that what I look like? That's terrible. <laughs> and so you might want to just avoid being confronted with that mirror almost. And so Yes, for things you don't like about yourself, you tend to be drawn more to people who don't have that characteristic. And so we do find that tightwads and spendthrifts are more likely to end up with each other than they are to end up with someone like themselves. And we think that can be fun and fascinating and charming at first. <laughs> but <laughs> there's a lot of things that are fun and charming at first that are less so in marriage, when decisions are more high stakes, and maybe there are kids who are being influenced by your choices. And so it can totally work. I'm married to a tightwad. It's great. But it does take some planning and thinking about um, how we share money and share information. And I think there's a lot of potential for happiness when people are mismatched. But you got to you got to take some, some steps. Yeah, I am. Um, my personal experience, my marriage is you tend to sort of um, constantly calibrate to balance the relationships. So if your partner is, for example, being anxious about the kids, uh, tends to make me look more laid back. Or if one of us is, you know, being ultra tidy, the other one will be like, oh, don't worry about it. And you know, you do sort of tend to fall into a rhythm where you, you provide the yin to your partner's yang. But there is something yes. different about money, eh? There's a study you found that shows arguing about money is more corrosive even than arguing about in-laws. Why is it different? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just so constant. There's no avoiding it. It's just infused in everything. It's mm. just, uh, when do we retire? How many kids do we try for? Should we remodel the house? Should we move? Um, all the big things have this, they're just, it's so tied to money. There's no getting around it. And so as much as many of us would love to just avoid it, it's just unavoidable, at least within like a committed relationship. You can avoid it all day long when you're just dating and it's casual, but um, it's just so frequent and in your face. And so it's... Um, 
you know, it's going to come up one way or the other. And so what I'm suggesting in the book is like, well, take some time to learn about yourself and learn about your partner and explore new ways to, um, you know, have money flow through the home perhaps differently than it does now. And there are these fixes, but they'll take like a couple of afternoons where you put everything else aside and just focus on this, but it can be done. I'm talking to Dr. Scott Rick, uh, my guest today. We're talking about money and particularly money in relationships. His book is called Tightwads and Spendthrifts, Navigating the Money Minefield in Real Relationships. And people might be surprised to hear Scott because um, actually I think probably most other relationship experts I've talked to have said the opposite. But but you feel transparency is overrated when it comes to money. I do. I do. I think complete proactive transparency is overrated um which i i totally acknowledge it sounds weird um but the problem is a lot of us have been convinced that boy if you could just avoid buying the latte or the avocado toast mm. or whatever mm. the little indulgence is <laughs> you could save that money instead invest it and become rich doesn't matter how much you make if you could just avoid little treats, you can become rich. Now, the math doesn't really work out on that, um, but people think it does. And so they can get into arguments over trivial purchases. Um, like, oh, did you really have to buy that coffee at work? Couldn't you just take coffee from home? Like, yes, I did need to buy it at work because I needed a break from my <laughs> colleagues in the hall and I needed to step away. And um, otherwise I was going to just crumble psychologically. So these little treats can actually kind of keep us going. They have like real meaning. Um, and if we would save the money, we'd find some other way to squander it. Um, it's not going to add up to much. So um, yeah, that's why I don't like partners kind of looking over each other, looking at line by line transactions. I mean, if you want to make the details available upon request, great, go for it. But I would just hope the requests are few and far between. So I advocate for financial translucency, where we each have a sense of what the other person is up to. Uh, like I know how much we each use per week or per month, but the, the nitty gritty details, I would try to steer clear of those if at all possible. Huh. By the way, Scott, is there, is there such a thing as financial infidelity? Well, based on everything I've read and what I hear out there, like, yes, it's this plague. It's this terrible thing that people are keeping secrets from their partner. And um, like, I, I totally acknowledge that, yes, there are some, you know, secret addictions and there are some real lies that are hurting relationships, to be sure. But a lot of this talk of financial infidelity, I think, is a bit of a moral panic. It's mm -hmm. just um, really inconsequential, um, you know, failures to disclose every little thing. People are calling that financial infidelity. Like, like, oh, I don't know how much you spent on your mom's birthday gifts. Well, I don't care. I don't need to know. I just need to know that you got her a gift so she won't complain and be mad at us. Like, um, we don't, if it's not causing a problem, why do we need to 
report all this. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, a lot of the financial um, advice and reporting that's out there is very kind of puritanical and um, just like, it's obvious that you need to be 100% open about every thought and feeling and action. And like, um, you know, if you talk to a therapist, I I don't think you get that impression. Like, (laughs) you need some individuality and some autonomy it's okay if you like keep a diary like i can know that you keep a diary but i don't like have the key to it um i it's a secret that i know you're keeping and that's okay um but you know on big things of course we should talk about big things and stuff for the relationship or the family but you know the little stuff i i think we don't need to get into that with each other how do we feel about the joint account well, I love a joint account on the front end of a of a relationship. You know, if everyone's committed, if things are generally going well, I love a joint account to accept all incoming money, paychecks, tax returns, gifts, whatever it is. It all becomes our money. You want to psychologically launder the money. Um, you want to get away from scorekeeping like, oh, you're contributing this and I'm contributing that. I don't like that. That's not good for relationships. You want to keep things communal. I help you because you need it, not because I'm, you know, prepaying for some favor. Um, so, and I love blurring income differences. You know, I, I if we both work, but I make way more than you, can we hide that? Does that have to be super obvious? Mm. Can we try to put that in the background? Um, so I love joint accounts for that purpose. However, I think we should have often separate accounts on the back end where we each get to spend some of our money without close monitoring by the other person. So the joint account is really, you know, it's a way to, um, you know, hide income differences, get us thinking in a communal way. It's all our money. Um But yeah, there's, there can be some discretion on the back end. I love it. But it yeah. still yeah, we're still spending our money. I was just going to say, I love that you have a whole chapter on gifts, which is mm. which is money related, but sometimes not always money related. Um, yes, yes. Your advice, if you want to give gifts that strengthen your relationship, you need to understand your partners in a psychological world. You, I hope you don't mind me mentioning you made a mistake quite early on with your <laughs> wife. Oh God, yes. Um, yeah, no, I. I bought a Christmas gift that was very poorly received. And um, <laughs> uh, she she was a fan of Kate Spade, and I knew that. And so I said, oh, I'll get her like a Kate Spade handbag. I knew she didn't have a Kate Spade handbag. And so I saw things that kind of looked like other stuff that she had. They were like slightly nicer versions. They would have been a fine gift, not like an amazing gift, but fine. Um, but instead my eyes were drawn to like this gold glittery, um, like it, it looked like a jewel encrusted clutch. It wasn't like a normal, like everyday handbag. It was like a clutch for like, you know, the Oscar awards or like some kind of gala or some event. And it was like way more expensive than everything else, but it just was so flashy and fun. It was the kind of thing I would want if I carried those kinds of items, which, you know, I don't, but I, I like kind of flashy things. Mm. And so uh, I got that. And 
I gave it to her. We were with her family in uh, Pittsburgh and they're lovely people, but they're not flashy people by any means. And neither is she. And she opened it up and it was just like, you could hear the tumbleweeds just, uh, you know, going through. <laughs> it was just, I had laid an egg. It was so obvious. Um, and her dad was like, oh, you're going to wear that down at the local grocery store. Like uh, <laughs> it was just obvious that this was, and it just screamed that I did not understand her um, or, or her, her taste. And she did not feel seen by that. I, I was shopping for, a version of myself that, um, mm. you know, if, if I wore handbags. And so I really <laughs> learned from that um, about kind of the importance of understanding their perspective, the, the recipient's perspective and, um, you know, shopping to, to convey that I see you, I understand you. Um, so I've gotten a little better over the years. Um, there's lots of practical advice in the book for couples talking to each other about some of the the big financial issues, debt and spending habits. There's just one I wanted to linger on, if that's okay, and that's um, that you say it's incumbent upon – if you are someone who needs to reel in your spending, it's incumbent upon you to make spending more visible and more obvious in your own mind. Can you just talk us through that? Yes. So retailers – Businesses are very good at making spending as painless as possible. If you think about there are these Amazon Go stores where you can just kind of scan your app to go in, you collect items, and you walk out. There's no checkout. They just kind of know with sensors what you've picked up. They want to make money leaving your possession as invisible as possible. And so... You, if you are someone who has a problem with spending, you're kind of on your own. You have to make spending very visible to yourself because no one's out there to help you. And so this is what I had to do. Like when I was in grad school and money was extremely tight, I had to turn myself into like a temporary tightwad. I tried to pay in cash as much as possible. I would um, train myself to feel pain when withdrawing money from an ATM <laughs> yeah. at the bank and then feel pain again when I would spend that money. So like I was trying to set up all of these speed bumps to slow me down. And when I would pay with card, with a card, I would go home, I would collect the receipt and type in that amount into a spreadsheet. You know, it's like, you might think, oh, I have all that information on an app, but no, you need to physically record this yourself. So you kind of really encode it in your mind and, and um, reckon with what you've spent. And so I was trying to set up all of these um, opportunities for visibility in what I was spending and, and kind of reminding myself um, because otherwise it's just too easy. It's too invisible. Um, so yeah, it's just, uh, it, if you want to reel it in, you've got to find ways to put up these speed bumps and these moments to reconsider, like go to your Amazon account and delete your credit card information so that you have to re-enter it. Like give yourself a moment to <laughs> reconsider. Um, yeah, that that's what I meant about making pay, paying visible and, and salient. 
Hey, great chat, Scott. Really nice to talk to you. Great idea for a book and, uh, and well executed. I've been talking to Dr. Scott Rick, uh, whose book is called Tightwads and Spendthrifts, Navigating the Money Minefield in Real Relationships. Uh, good luck for your next Christmas presents and nice to talk to you today. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was great. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.